Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we're on the Clare Island Ferry in County Mayo. We hear from the New Zealand fishing industry. And I'm angling off the south coast. country to support life on our offshore islands, the Irish state provides subsidised lifeline transport services for inhabited islands in Donegal, Mayo, Galway and Cork. On the first of the month, the Minister for Rural and Community Development, Heather Humphreys, announced a €1 million five-year ferry contract to Clare Island in County Mayo. This is going to increase the number of daily ferries to the island, making life easier for everybody there. Joanna McNicholas went on board. Clare Island is located at the entry to Clue Bay and until June of this year, with just two daily return ferries, its island community struggled to stay connected with the mainland. Now, however, thanks to the new contract, the island's ferry service has been increased to four daily return trips, which will make the island more accessible. The contract has been awarded to O'Malley Ferries. Charles O'Malley of O'Malley Ferries, Clare Island. And can you tell me a little bit about the boat? The boat is a purpose-built ferry, built back in 92 for Tory Island. We bought it uh, two and a half years ago, and um, we've been using it on this service and for other works, but uh, she's dedicated to the service now for the next five years. It's a whole new opening up for Clare Island. Yeah, well, we went with what the people of Clare Island were looking for, and um, we've been listening over the last couple of years as to what the island wanted and to try and grow our own island into a more user-friendly place to live and um, there's a lot of young families on Clare Island now at the moment and you know they, they, they need the connection with the mainland and for work and for day-to-day stuff like shopping and appointments and stuff so you know the four sailings now will give them much more flexibility for going to and from the island and that's that was our goal and I hope to achieve it. Before this, there were only two sailings, so if somebody went in the morning for something to the mainland, they'd have to wait all day. Was that right? That's correct, Chair. They'd have to stay on until the evening, and uh, you know, it didn't suit. It didn't suit people to go to the mainland maybe for a couple of hours, get a bit of shopping, or you know, an appointment, or vice versa. It didn't suit people coming to the island to do work. You know, even the smaller things, get the sky the satellite dish fixed. You know, you had to wait the whole day on the island, and that doesn't suit people. So. This will open up and give people a lot more options for travelling in the morning, out in the midday, or, you know, come in at midday and out in the evening, or, you know what I mean? There's loads of different options now, so that problem is now gone. It will help the island, you know what I mean? There's no doubt it's going to help the island, and it's going to help it in every way. People get on and off, and, you know, as I said, it'll be, it'll be more, as near as you can get to living on the mainland, it, it, that's how good it should be, hopefully. The upgrade in ferry services came after a long campaign by the island community. My name is Ian McCabe. I'm a member of the community development company on Clare Island, County Mayo. It all started back in 2017 when we started to review the, the status of subsidised ferry service to the other islands. Um, and when we started to look at what other islands around the coast had in terms of the level of subsidy and the number of sailings, we realised that there was a huge imbalance with Clare Island. Um, and when people f- found this out, uh, it, it became imperative that we fix that. So we saw having more sailings as being critical to the sustainability of Clare Island. Um, 
So for the last four years, we've been building towards this new contract and and uh, establishing a new precedent for Clare Island. And I won't say there was discrimination per se, but there was some strange things in the scorings for for Clare Island versus the other islands. Um, and we had only a minimum number of sailings a day and the level of the subsidy to Clare Island was only half of what the standard for all the other islands around the coast were at that time. The monetary value of it was only half of what other islands have and the number of sailings was only approximately half of the standard. There was a clear imbalance there. So you've got your four sailings a day now and this has to make a big difference to the islanders. How do you think this is going to work out in the coming months and five years? Yeah, we have our four sailings a day and big thanks to our local politicians, Alan Dillon and um, especially to Eamon O'Queeve, who was critical in this. Four sailings a day will bring a new, a real ease of life to the people on Clare Island. It'll let us tap into some of the resources that are available in the Westport area. And it'll be critically important in the wintertime when Clare Island has been very, very isolated for many, many years. Do you see that there's a possibility that more people will be able to commute, work on the mainland and live here? That is the exact point of the entire the entire thing, that we would like for people to be able to have jobs on the mainland and live on Clare Island. Now, we are realists and we know this isn't going to be possible all year round because of sea conditions. But for large portions of the year, we think that it should be possible for people to live on Clare Island, work in Westport and return to Clare Island in the evening time. There's a new digital hub has been opened on the island here. That's correct. Um, as part of the national broadband plan, a broadband connection point was put on Clare Island last year. brings high-speed connection to the community centre building. So as part of our effort to bring people home to live, to be able to live on Clare Island, we converted the development office into a digital hub. So now there's seven desk spaces in there um, that could potentially have seven people living and working on Clare Island remotely. We uh, expect that... In time, this will get used and, and hopefully provide the infrastructure that people need to, to live here permanently. Between the digital hub and the extra sailings in the ferry um, and the transition into this blended working environment that people have where there's more work from home coupled with some office work, we think that the future for Clare Island is bright. Uh, my name is Lindsay McCabe. Uh, I've lived here on Clare Island for six years. We moved over from uh, New York State we lived over there for eight years, but we always wanted to give it a go here on the island. So we moved over with our three children, and we've lived here ever since then. I was born in Syracuse, New York, which is the, the middle part of New York State. Not the city, but it would be like much more urban than it would be here anyway. Like, uh, So yeah, it's very different life here, but I think that's what we wanted. Uh, Ian, was, my husband, was born here. And when I first came over and saw the place, I thought it was very special. There's uh, just so much freedom and uh, peace, and it's just a different pace of life. You don't have traffic to contend with. And you're, I suppose in some ways, you'd be thinking of things on the mainland that you don't have, but then you sort of learn you don't really need a lot of things that you had before. And you kind of learn about like nature and farming. And I think it's just a lovely lifestyle. Now that you've been upgraded here to four sailings a day to the mainland, do you think that's going to make a difference for you and your life and family? 
Oh, definitely. I think it's a great improvement for life on the island, uh, just making everything easier, just for appointments and for shopping. And also, hopefully, the, the biggest improvement, in my opinion, would be that the children might be able to commute out to secondary school. At the moment, the children, uh, they go out on a Monday morning and they will board for the week and then they come back in on a Friday evening. They're put into houses where they will live with another family for the week and then they come back home on the weekends. They call that Monday morning boat the depression boat because I suppose it's very early and it's just very sad for the children to be saying goodbye to their parents and their homes and they probably feel a bit, you know, a bit lonely and... Um, just missing the comforts of home then for the week and not be having their parents and their siblings to talk to and to just have them there. Like the families that they board with are, they're very good and they, they do their best, but they're not their parents. I just think that's very tough, not just on the children, but on their parents as well to be, you'd be sitting in here kind of just wondering and hoping they're okay and missing out on some moments that you just would like to be there for as your children you know, are growing up and it's a difficult, can be difficult years and, you know, you want to be there for them. I definitely think it's, it will be a big improvement for family life and just to be able to keep the families like a basic human right as a family is you just want to be able to live together. So I just think that these fairies could enable that to be the case. While Clare Island now has improved ferry services, it still has one major problem. The ferry's designated mainland pier at Runa, near Lewisburg, experiences huge Atlantic swells, making it completely inaccessible for most of the winter months. One of the biggest uh, hurdles we have to get over is Runa Pier. Like, it's, the weather, weather conditions can change like that, and then you're left with a problem where you could take people off the island in the morning, and you know they get to Runa and then they have to come back from maybe Akula Road Head in the evening and then the next day they go out their car can be left in Akula and they have to go from Runa so like there's it's an hour and a half to drive from Runa to Akula to get your car so your day is gone trying to get back into your car and uh, you know it just doesn't work it's, it's very hard and we need a new pier someplace on the mainland that will benefit both Clare Island and Innistar because we run the service to both islands and uh, you know we're facing these problems every single day you know in the winter not so much in the summer but in the winter we, we face these problems every day and it's the same problems cars not at the, the designated pier runa or you know that you go to the other pier and you know it just doesn't suit so it is a big problem and we need we need input from from the government and the state bodies that can give us the funding to do something about it we all have an idea of where we want to put a pier it needs studies and it needs all that before it can go ahead. But, you know, without the money, we can do nothing. And that's the biggest problem we have right now. You know, even from getting people off with the lifeboat or whatever, if you have emergencies, you know, you're, you're restricted. And that has to change. It has to change for the people there. So the, the next best pier is a club more night. You know, but it's a longer trip by sea and it's a longer trip by road, you know. And it's not as user-friendly as Ruin. There's no steps in it. You know, you're using gangways and stuff. So we just need a new harbour, full stop. Joanna McNicholas on the Clare Island Ferry. Over recent weeks, we've heard from two large protests by men and women involved in the fishing industry in Dublin and Cork. And while the business here is in an existential crisis, it's thriving in other parts of the world. 
Alex Taylor is a young man born and brought up in Ireland, but who holds dual New Zealand citizenship. He now works on a trawler in the Southern Ocean, and I caught up with him recently by WhatsApp to hear about his life on board a New Zealand trawler and about the fishing industry there. To be fair, I moved over to New Zealand coming up to nearly five years ago. Uh, a break to get away from Ireland, really, and to catch up with family this side of the world. And just uh, for the next couple of years, I ended up uh, staying in New Zealand, north and south, and bouncing between here and Aussie. And uh, when COVID finally hit, last year I was actually in Sydney. And uh, obviously there was complications with being Kiwi residents, being in Australia, and what was going to happen with if everything shut down. Uh, we were all advised to either go back to your home country or go back to New Zealand. So I went back there and uh, fell into the fishing industry through lockdown. Because in New Zealand, as most primary industries go, they uh, they couldn't slow them down. And uh, the fishing industry had to keep going through COVID. So we just kind of worked through that and have been kind of there since. You've dual citizenship with Ireland and New Zealand, but you're not a stranger to the fishing industry. No, no. Uh, my fishing industry experience really started when I left school and uh, I joined with a local crowd. I joined with a local fisherman in our town, uh, fishes the Rachel J out of Kinsale. And uh, I did that for over a year. And so I had an idea of what I was getting into, but uh, didn't expect it to last this long again, you know, working a full year fishing in New Zealand. And it's your working week. How how does it go? You're working months. Do you you've a few weeks on, a few weeks off? How does it work there? Because at the moment there's a huge debate in Ireland about fishing, the fishing industry, the future of it, and fishing quotas. How does it work for you now in New Zealand? In New Zealand, they have a pretty well managed system. It's very a sustainable system, I'd imagine, would be the best word for it. Um, they look after their waters. You know, uh, the quotas are given in place to Kiwi vessels, which mostly are the only vessels that fish their own fishing grounds, which is the way it should be. And, uh, yeah, it's very well managed. You know, there's government observers do most trips and they keep track of anything from rubbish being thrown overboard to tagging fish and releasing, you know, for research purposes. So I think the system that they have in place here in New Zealand is that they want the fishing industry to survive. And uh, I feel that in Ireland that could probably be done the same. I think I've seen recently that what you're talking about here now about the protests that have been going on in Cork and Dublin. And it's rightly so. Those Irish waters belong to Irish fishermen. The EU's quotas that they put in place, like they're too biased towards other nations, whereas they're Ireland's fishing grounds, like in Ireland are receiving the, one of the lowest percentages of those yeah. fishing grounds. What, what's the size of the trawler you, you fish on at the moment, and how long do you go out to sea for? Uh, I'd estimate it's just short of 50 metres, and trips usually take between 60 days to 100 days, depending on the fishing grounds. Okay, where do you go? I, I understand you go up into um, the Antarctic? We do, yeah. The Southern Ocean is the main fishing ground. And uh, one trip a year does go down south of Camlar to the Ross Sea, where that's a global fisheries and it's a once a year Olympic fisheries. What, what does that mean? Well, an Olympic fishery is that it starts at a certain time. There's only certain vessels there and the season closes once there's a set quota in place. So it's just the Olympic fishery style of it is just the limited amount of vessels, I imagine, that fish this region. OK, so when you're gone for your, what, six weeks, 60 days, what's, what's your working day? What's your working week like? 
the boat works just in shifts, Fergal, really. It's eight on, eight off from when you wake up to when you knock off. And that's just like clockwork from once you leave till the trip ends. And how many crew would you have? Between 20 or 30, I suppose, depending on the size of the vessel. And what, what are you catching or what are you aiming to catch? And what style of fishing are you uh, using? In that region, it's uh, toothfish. What are they? Uh, Patagonian and Antarctic toothfish, same species. Uh, they're just a deep sea, cold water fish, and deep sea within like a couple of kilometers deep and uh, native to that southern region of the world, like mostly in and around 70 degrees or north on longitude. We're on long liners. Okay, so you're so using hooks essentially. Yeah, it's just a line with a lot of hooks. Like the name is pretty self-explanatory and uh, you leave them out and then just pick them up in rotation, obviously being auto-baited. Okay, is it a tough life? It's, some days are hard, some days are good, but that's just like normal life in itself. It's maybe just a little bit more extreme. But uh, you find uh, you find your routine and like most things, the human adapts. Yeah, you must have seen some pretty extreme conditions. Um, the weather down the Southern Ocean is rough, but I'd imagine it's rough in most places in the world. Like the North Sea as well would get rough, I'd imagine. But there's some pretty rough weather out there, but it is what it is. Swells when you're taking them head on in the face and you're trying to get the line on board and you're trying to gaff fish at the same time. It's a, it's a tricky situation sometimes. You see some yeah, pretty crazy stuff that you'd only see on TV before. I don't know, not nothing like the Titanic anyway. It's a hard to describe, but uh, it's one of those things you kind of have to do it yourself to figure that out. What size are the fish, these toothfish? Anything from the starting range. I suppose there could be anything between 5 and 10 kilos all the way up to 100. It's a sought-after fish, I'm not sure to where. One that I hadn't heard of until I moved this side of the world. And the way long lining is done is it's quite specific in the fish that you catch because obviously you use a certain kind of bait. Normally anything you catch is the one that's relevant to what you've put out. Mm. Does it get very cold down there? It does indeed, yeah. Uh, Colder than home, but ice on deck, not as bad as you would see in deadliest catch, but uh, you'd know about it. What's life like on board when you're gone for that length of time? When you're on your downtime, what do you do? Uh, Get as much sleep as you can, uh, eat as much as you can beforehand, Uh, best game plan I could offer. And what a great outlook on life he has. Many thanks to Alex Taylor for speaking to me from New Zealand. Right now, angling right across the country is in full swing. And last weekend, I went fishing out of Kinsale with renowned sea angler Joe McPeak. It was a grey enough day to start, but we had, in the end, tremendous angling. Lots of species and almost all fish returned alive. Joe, we've had an incredible day fishing. What species have we caught? I'm not too sure. We've cod, ling, pollock, grey garnered, tub garnered, streaky garnered, we think, Uh, mackerel, um, ling. Whiting that we're going to take home for dinner. Oh yeah, loads of whiting. Yeah, yeah. And... and, uh, it wasn't bad, although some of the other boats were saying it was a bit scratchy. Yeah. So uh, we we moved around quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you're looking for fish, looking for different grounds, you're looking for birds feeding. Um, obviously, rocky ground tends to be pollock. On the my the, arm is sore from the pollock. Uh, well, you see, you're very lucky. You, you know, I'm an amateur skipper, but I know what I'm at. I hope <laughs> <laughs> we have a bit of fun down here in Cork. Uh, 
with some of the, the local lads. I keep telling them that I'm, I'm definitely becoming the best uh, skipper, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll teach me a lesson yeah. or two shortly. But I know it's, it's the thing about fishing like this. We're actually putting back about ninety percent of what we catch. Yeah, I mean most uh, anglers do, unless they're taking something home for the table or for their friends, particularly mackerel, whiting, cod, um, some would, and ling. But some species are not great at going back, unfortunately. But uh, I would say an average somewhere around ninety percent plus uh, yeah. go back. Yeah. So the pollock go back fairly well. This the the pouting don't go back. They they suffer badly when they're brought to the surface. Can't quite figure it out. Some of them do go back quickly. Some of them don't. You normally know uh, if they're bloated that they probably yeah, won't go back. And the smaller ones don't go back. So the seagulls that we're surrounded by get them. Yeah, it's certainly the seagulls. Uh, they seem to be following the leisure craft more so than the fishery. There's no trawlers really working inshore anymore. Anyway. You're here now, you're filleting. This is the best fish of the day we caught. Uh, it was a good cod, yeah, off the old head, um, off the reef. Sometimes you can get them, although they've uh, become a little bit scarce over the last few weeks. There were plenty of them around earlier yeah. in the season. Is it, are they a winter species? Do they move way offshore in, in summertime? Um, normally they're associated being uh, winter species, um, especially along the uh, south coast, but uh, Kilmore Key. Uh, can have uh, cod right through the season yeah. um, so uh, I it was always associated being a winter but definitely in parts of the coast they're there all year round okay, okay. and there are plenty of fish if you know where to look and you're uh, does luck count? Uh, luck always counts in every uh, in every sport and uh, every pastime but what I would say is that for the last uh, four to six weeks it's been quite scratchy around the coast uh, we can't figure it out, and it's not just the anglers, it's uh, the fishermen, the, the crab fishermen, lobster fishermen uh, are saying that it's a, a, a bit scarce. We noticed a few weeks ago a huge amount of red tide, it was covering the lines, etc. So whether that's affecting the, the gills of the fish and they're going uh, okay. offshore or away okay. from it, uh, I can't tell. But you're on a mission, tell me about it, to catch how many uh, yeah. species? Well, target for the season is 50 uh, different sea species this year. So uh, headed out of Dublin, and quite often people think there's no fishing in Dublin. There's some great fishing, and uh, just in the last couple of weeks, the super taupe fishing and uh, smooth hound fishing and ray fishing. Uh, and then down the coast of uh, Wicklow, uh, looking for spur dog, but we didn't get them. But we got the taupe off Wexford, and then various species, including specimen spur dog off uh, Kilmore Key, bass. So at present, my target, as I said, is 50. I'm, uh, I think I'm on 42 species okay. at present. So what are the elusive ones? Well, I was very lucky the other day. We were out sharking. We got some blue shark. Um, I got a hake, which is very elusive. Um, why, why, they're the most common fish you see in a restaurant. Why are they elusive? They're caught by the trawlers. They're very rarely caught on uh, hook and line. Um, so it's a, a bonus fish. Um, the sharking was fairly good. Patchy, 10 days ago we had nine blue shark and we had uh, poor beagle to the boat. But this year it would appear that there are bigger shark around. And we think we had a mako. We had a very big fish to the back of the boat, but he, uh, he bit through the line about 10 feet down. There was two of us on the rod. It was a big fish. Okay. 
and all the sharks. Do you take the sharks on board or do you just cut them before they get on board? Because you want to get them back safely. Yeah, the blues, we often bring them on board because we tag them for the Indian fisheries. Um, and some of the fish we just try and take the hook out and some of the um, but the bigger fish you're you know the bigger shark you're a bit wary of mm. it's not just their teeth it's their tail break yeah. your legs yeah. the what are the elusive species what do you still have to catch um believe it or not uh, places have been quite difficult to skate uh gilt head bream uh blue mouth bass uh, and um uh let me see the black uh, bream blonde ray uh, stingray, uh, turbot, brill, uh, bluefin tuna, and, and, and albacore. Are they all very specialised fishing? Uh, yeah, they're all specialised. Uh, you know, every species is almost specialised, with the exception maybe of of pollock and mackerel. You you have to target them. You have to know where they're going to be. Certain fish will be over sand. Some will be over rock. Some will be chasing bait fish like the big uh, tuna, but. That's all licensed now, so I'll be fishing with one of the licensed skippers. A few species still to go there, but maybe we'll catch up with Joe McPeak to see how he's getting on later in the summer. Waterways Ireland have a boat sale at the moment of abandoned boats from the inland waterways. You'll find details of the sale and the bidding process on their website. And we'll have a report on what's available in their yard in Athlone on the programme next week. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. The weather is good over the next week, so if you're anywhere on or near the water, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.